Thank you for the invitation to come back. We enjoyed our visit with you back in May, and we are glad to be here. This morning, I want to share with you one of the most encouraging passages to me, found in Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. I want to read it. I want to look at an idea, a statement that Jesus made and make application of that. I find it very encouraging. This is late in the life of Christ, and we read here, Mark 14, 3. And being in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. How do you feel about yourself, your relationship to God, and what you're doing? There are many times in my years of ministry that, that, that I have felt less than other people, other people. Other preachers got to do gospel meetings faster than I did, and they held more than I did, and spoke on more lectureships than I spoke on. And I would see other people who were more effective another way, and I thought, I'm not doing what I could or should, and I felt very, very bad. But God does not expect me to do what other people do. He expects me to do what I can with what I have where I am. And there are two other principles I'd like for us to connect with that and to make some application. If I get that idea that that's what God expects of me, then there's this principle called compound interest. And compound interest has been said to be one of the most powerful forces in the world, and it not only works with dollar bills, it works with anything. It's found in Matthew 25, 29, For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will be blessed abundantly. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. When I do what I can, what I have, where I am, God will bless me abundantly and add more to it. If I fail to do that, then even what I have is taken away from me. Them that has, gets. That is a biblical principle. Secondly, the way I communicate to God what I would do. See, a lot of people think, well, if I could do like him, if I could teach like her, if I could do like that person, then I'd do that. The way I communicate that to God is not what I say, but what I do. 
Luke chapter 16, he said, He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in that which is least is unjust also in much. And so the way I tell God what I do with more is what I'm doing with the little that I have. Let's look at some areas of application. Number one, in our study and love of God's Word. God has always wanted us to know His will because unless we know it, we can't do it and won't do it. Hosea 4 verse 6, the prophet said, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you for being priests for me. Because you have forsaken the word of your Lord, I also will forsake your children. If you want it from the New Testament, it's found in 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent, study, to show yourself approved to God, a work, worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I need to have as a regular part of my routine a study of God's word. I don't miss many days eating. And I don't need to miss partaking of God's word. Well, Jerry, I know I'll do that, but see, it doesn't do me any good. I just, I just can't learn anything. It doesn't do any good. Oh, Jesus says differently in John 7, 17. He said, if anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the teaching, whether I speak of God or whether I speak by my own authority. Jesus said, if you want to know the will of God, you'll find out what it is. Now, it is true that it's easier for some people to learn than others. Have you noticed that? Some people are just pretty sharp. It is amazing. For several decades, I've had a, a, a practice of what I call doing my memory work. It's just a routine that I go through, go through a book, and, and I'll take a paragraph and, and go through a certain number of repetitions and all that. Several years ago, I was in a workshop with Don McWhorter, a preacher in Fayette, Alabama. And Don would just quote paragraph after paragraph, never look at his Bible. And I thought, man, he's good. Maybe he can help me. So I asked him, I said, Don, how do you memorize the Bible? He said, I just do it. I said, no, what method do you use? He said, I don't use a method. I just do it. I said, well, we're not communicating here. <laughs> I said, Suppose that you were going to preach next Sunday on 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You had never memorized any verse in that whole chapter. How would you go about getting that in your head? He said, okay, here's what I'd do. I'd go into my study on Monday. I'd read over 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'd read books and commentaries during the week. I'd outline it on Friday and preach it on Sunday. I said, no, we're still not doing it. You're telling me how to get up a sermon. I need help on that. What I'm asking you specifically, how do you get the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from the page into your head where you don't have to read it? He said, okay. Here's the way I do it. I get up on Sunday morning. I shower, I shave. My wife Jane cooks breakfast. I eat breakfast. And between breakfast and Sunday school, I would memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I said, thank you. You can't help me any at all. But he could just do that. It was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, he just said, that's an ability I have. There's some abilities I don't have, but I just find that that comes very easily. 
But whether I can learn like Don McWhorter or not learn like him, the principle for him and me and you and everybody else is the same. It's found in Ephesians 3 verse 4, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And so we just got to work on it. And Jesus promises us if, we, if, our, if our goal, if our focus is doing the will of Jesus, you'll find out what it is. Brother Gus Nichols preached at the Sixth Avenue Church in Jasper, Alabama for 42 years. He had a practice of studying the Bible five hours every day. One year I heard him speak at Freed Hardeman and he made a statement which has encouraged me ever since. He said, one day he was studying the Bible and he came across a verse, he said, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't understand that. It just So he read and he studied and he read and he studied and read books and commentaries and he had asked other people who had studied the Bible. He had a big old deep voice and he said, one day, one day, 18 years later, it finally came to me. That's what that verse means. It agrees with this passage over here and this passage over here. And that's what it means. And here's what I learned from that. If Brother Gus Nichols, who studies the Bible five hours every day, and it takes him 18 years to understand the passage, I shouldn't be discouraged if I have to read it over one or two times. You just do it over and over again, but you do what you can, what you have, where you are. One of the most helpful tools that came to me was the cassette tape player. I remember that first one I bought in August of uh, 1967. And that means that I can put stuff, I can have recording and just put it in the car and take it all over the place. And so uh, for several years, I've been able to hear the whole Bible once while I was driving, once while I was shaving. I'm a slow shaver and so I can... I listened to one translation shaving, another translation driving. And it used to be, I preached for a church that produced the New Testament for $9.95, and that was a bargain. You don't have to do that anymore. Faith Comes by Hearing is a website. They have the Bible recorded in 1,471 languages. Eight translations. The U version is available on smartphones and iPads. 1,372 languages and 13 of those are in audio where you can listen to them. And that's what I use for my shaving version. But the thing is, we just do what we can. Do what we can. One of my rules is I try not to learn very much, and I'm generally successful in that, but I try to, try to pick up a mustard seed that will make a difference. And so it is amazing what happens when we listen and when we listen and when we listen. And so Jesus said to everyone that has, more will be given and he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Years ago, there was a young teenager named, and I forgot his name. <laughs> this teenager was not very interested in the Bible. One day, he and some of his friends were playing with blasting caps, and there was an explosion. 
And as a result of that, he was blinded and both his hands were blown off. And as he was healing and grieving that loss, he, he developed an interest in the Bible. But he's blind. Well, blind people read Braille. Yeah, they read Braille, but they do it with their fingers. He doesn't have any hands. So he came up with an idea. He thought, maybe I can read it with my lips. So he got a Braille Bible, and he rubbed, and he rubbed, and he rubbed, and he rubbed, and found out that the nerve endings were so damaged, he was numbed in his lips and couldn't distinguish one letter from another. Jesus said, if you really want to, you can. Is this an exception? Came up with this idea. Maybe if I stick my tongue out, maybe it was protected. And sure enough, as he rubbed his tongue over those bumped letters, he found out that he could distinguish one letter from another if he kept trying. He had learned a letter. But he also found out what he was doing, the saliva on his tongue was to was destroying the book and so he was destroying the book that he was reading. He found out you could get braille in metal on metal pages and so he stuck out his tongue and many nights he'd spend all night long learning one letter of the alphabet. He can't read, he just learned his ABCs and his tongue would get raw and it would bleed. But he learned to read and during his 65 years of Blindness, he read through the entire Bible four times with his tongue. Jesus said, if you want to, you can. I didn't know that young man, but I knew Brother Arch Peavy House in Yorkville, Tennessee. That was my first full-time work. And we were having a Wednesday night Bible cl class. And as we do in many classes, we'd read a verse or two, and then we'd comment and read a verse or two and comment. And we'd go around and let different people read. Brother Peavy House sat about four rows back, about where this good brother's sitting right here. And Brother Peavy House didn't bring a Bible to Bible school. Can you imagine that? Well, everybody understood because he shook so badly, it wouldn't do him any good because he couldn't read it if he had it. And so being the kind, benevolent person that I am, when I got to Brother Peavy House, I skipped him and went to the next person. Somebody came up to me and said, next week, when it gets Uncle Arch's time, be sure and ask him. He likes to read. I said, well, okay. And so the next week, when it got to be his time, I said, Brother Peavy House, would you read 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2? And he looked straight ahead and he said, my little children. These things I write to you that you sin not. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Guess what I thought about the rest of that night? How in the world does he get his Bible lesson? Communication, if you don't know something that somebody else does, the best way to find out is to ask. So I said, Brother Peavy House. And I was impressed. He not only knew 1 John 1 and 2, so number one, he didn't expect me to call on him because I didn't last week. So he didn't figure out which one he was going to get. If you, you ever do that in class where you used to fill in the blanks, hey, okay, got that one tonight. I'm glad you'll call on He didn't do that because I didn't call on him a week before. Secondly, it was evident that he knew the whole book. He said, now last week in chapter 1 we read this, and over in chapter 5, here's what he said. He knew the whole book of 1 John. 
So I said, Brother P.V. House, how do you get your Bible lesson? Your hands shake at the church building, don't they shake at home? He said, my hand shake, but my kitchen table doesn't. And so he had one of these extra large New Testament Psalms. You used to be able to buy them for a dollar bill from American Bible Society. And so he would get that Bible and he would very laboriously get his Bible to the right place and he would sit there and memorize his Bible lesson. You know what Jesus said? If you really want to do his will, you'll find out what it is. One of my heroes in Dalton, Georgia, I preached there from 1977 to 1988, was Ken, Ken Rabin. Hadn't been there but a Sunday or two. Ken came up, introduced himself, and he said, Preacher, let me what I tell you one of the things I do around here. He said, What I've always done for our previous preachers when they mis make a mistake, I always tell them, and I'll be glad to do the same thing for you. I said, yeah, I need, all, I need all the help I can get. And he explained, he said, preacher, do you know how I study the Bible? I said, no. He said, I can't read. But he said, I have got all the Bibles on records. Remember those little 16 two-thirds? There were boxes and boxes and boxes for the whole Bible. He said, when I come in to work from work at night, I sit there and listen. That's the way I study the Bible. I said, well, that is great. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Several months went by, and he came up, and he said, uh, Preacher, you know how I study the Bible? I said, I sure do, and I admire you for that. You've got the whole Bible on records. When you come in at night from work, you sit there and you listen to those. He said, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. He said, Preacher, do you know that those companies that make, uh, make jigsaw puzzles, they make 12 new puzzles every year? I said, no, I never heard that in all my life. He said, they do. And he said, I go down to the dime store every month and get me some puzzles, and that's the way I study the Bible. I said, I'm confused. I don't see that. He said, preacher, let me tell you something. I work hard for a living, and if I just came in and sat down and listened to the Bible at night, I'd go to sleep. So I put the puzzles together to stay awake, and I listen to the records to learn the Bible, and that's the way I study the Bible. Isn't that powerful? While I was there, he started taking classes to learn how to read. And one day he said, Preacher, come in the library. I can read a first grade book. And so he opened up first grade book and read the whole thing. And then some months went by and he said, Preacher, come in. He read me a second grade book. He was really feeling good. While I was there, I started what I called our Book of the Month Club. We encouraged everybody to read the first month of Genesis. We started that in 1981. And on the second Sunday night, I'd preach on Genesis. I'd ask people to write down on a slip of paper how many times did you read the book and how many times did you listen to the book during January. And they'd write it down. And any comments, and that would usually be my bulletin article for, for that week. In uh, August of 86, we were finishing this trip through the Bible. And here's Ken's response that night on this piece of paper. All the words aren't spelled right, but you'll get what he's talking about. Here's what he wrote. He said, I've heard the whole Bible read about 112 times in my life. Ain't read it yet, but I will if I live three more years, signed Ken. Isn't that powerful? 
when we do what we can with what we have, where we are, God will add to our ability and opportunity. Now, let's just do a check. If God were to comment on my love for his word and my study of his word, what would he say? Would he say he does what he can with what he has where he is? Number two, we talk about religion and some folks say, I don't like religion and all that. Let me tell you what the Bible says. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Well, Jay, I understand that, but see, I can't, I don't, I don't have it very much, so I can't do anything. Wrong math. Wrong math. All God expects of anybody is to do what we can, what we have, what we are. Illustration. Acts chapter 9, 36 to 39. There was uh, a Joppa lady uh, named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Orcus. This woman was full of good works and ominous deeds, which she did. Now, when I read that, I get excited because the Holy Spirit doesn't waste words. She was full of good works and alms deeds. I can imagine here is this lady named Dorcas. Perhaps she's a very wealthy lady and she builds a cottage where you can put a mom and a daddy and about six kids and take four, care of them and the children. So, no, she didn't do that. Maybe she's even more prosperous. She has several millions of dollars and she builds the Dorcas Library for a Christian college. And so people, no, that's not what she did. Luke goes on to tell us that she, she died and they called for Peter. He was in the area and called for him to come over. And when they took him into the upper room where she was, all the widows stood by her weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Dorcas had a needle and she dedicated that needle to the glory of God and the benefit of her fellow man. And she was said to be full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. Why? Because she did what she could with what she had where she was. I didn't know Dorcas. She lived hundreds of years ago, but I knew a lady in Middle Tennessee who raised nine children chiefly by herself. Her husband spent most of his adult life in Central State Hospital on Murfreesboro Road in Nashville, Tennessee. He just did not function very well outside the institution. And so back before the days of assistance and all the other things, she provided for nine children. She'd raise a garden every year and she'd, she'd can beans and pickles and corn. And, and all every year she'd put up a few in gallon, gallon jugs. And she'd say, I'm going to send those up to Spring Hill, Tennessee, Tennessee Children's Home. I feel sorry for those kids. They don't have a mom and daddy. And I can't do much, but maybe a few gallons of green beans will help them. In the wintertime, she'd put up a quilting frame in her living room, and all went along, she'd quilt, and she said, I can't do very much, but maybe a quilt or two, maybe that'd help them. She'd do a quilt or two every year. What did that lady do for other people? Not much. A few gallons of green beans, a few quilts. But here's what's important. She did what she could with what she had where she was. 
And when all of us do that, it is amazing that the people we'll be able to help and we'll be able to help ourselves and our attitudes because we're giving and helping other people. Well, Jerry, you just don't understand. You know, I'm, I'm on a limited income. I'm not an economist, but here's my observation. Check it out. If I'm wrong, tell me. It is my understanding that every person who is living today or ever has lived is on a limited income. Bill Gates is on a limited income. Now, his limit is way above mine and yours, but it's limited. And so all God expects us to do is do what we can, what we have, what we have. Do you know what the entry level for getting in on God's benevolent works is? Have you ever been to one of those meetings where they say, we want you to get involved in this great opportunity and you make millions of dollars and they give you a bunch of examples and they say, if you want to get in really big, it's going to take this many thousand dollars and it's all the way down here, you can get in entry level. And they tell you, well, Jesus tells the entry level, Mark 10, 42. He said, whoever gives to one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Is everybody able to afford one cup of water? Sure, I do. He said, all right, you're in, you're in. Anything from there on up, you won't lose your reward. I guarantee you, you'll be rewarded for it. The important thing is that we do what we can, what we have, what we are, because that's going to be on the final test. Didn't you like those teachers that told you this is going to be on the test? Jesus said, that's it. Matthew 25, he looked to those on the right hand. He said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. He said, that's going to be on final test. They're between the right hand and the left hand. And so if God looks down on my benevolent work, would he say he does what he can with what he has where he is? Number three, what about our giving to the Lord? Since the days of Cain and Abel, God has expected his creatures to give back a part of their material goods to him. God doesn't need the money, but he needs us and our heart. And unless he has our stuff, he doesn't have our heart. And so back... We, 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 we read that that same thing is true today. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Paul wrote, Now concerning the collection, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you do what he can with what he has where he is. He, the way he said it, let every one of you lay something up in store, laying by as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So he said every week, do that, do that. And that same expectation is, well, Jerry, you know, I'd really like to, but you see, I don't have very much, so I can't give anything. Wrong equation. Wrong equation. Mark chapter 12, beginning about verse 42, Jesus was in the temple one day, and he was peeping when people gave. Can you imagine that? He peeped. So he knew what everybody was giving. I wonder if he's still peeping. I wonder if he's peeping this morning. But here's what he did. He got excited. He called his disciples over and he pointed to one old lady. And he said, that lady is the world's champion giver today. Lord, how much did she give? 
Well, she said, he said, uh, she gave more than all the rich folks here. This lady gave two mites, which make a fathering. I, I don't understand those numbers. Let me tell it to you in our, our coinage today. That's less than a nickel. This lady gave less than a nickel. And he said, she gave more than all the others. For the rich gave out of their abundance, but she gave all out of her need, even all that she has. God evaluates our giving on percentages. Percentages. 100%, small percent. Well, I just can't, no, no, that's not it. Third year of my school at Freed Hardeman, I preached at the Doris Chapel Church up in Gibson County, Tennessee. And one Sunday we were eating with this lady and she just started talking about her giving. I didn't ask. I don't think I'd even preached on giving that day. She just started talking. I listened. She said, Brother and Sister Barbara said, I know I don't give what I ought to. I know I don't. But I just can't stand to turn loose of that money that my husband and I have worked so hard to earn. Now, she said, my grandmother has remembered me in her will. And when she dies, I'm going to give a large portion of that to the church. And I thought, oh, no, no, that can't be true. I'm going to lose my faith. Jesus said, she won't do that. And she said, yeah, I am. Jesus said, if you're unfaithful in a little, you'll be unfaithful much. And that lady said, no, sir, that is not right. I have been unfaithful in the little, but when I get a lot, I'm going to give a lot. And I thought, should I quit preaching? Because if that part of the Bible is not true, then what about the rest of the Bible? But I hung on to my faith. And a few months later, we rotated around and we were eating at her house again. And guess what? She started talking about her money again. And she said, brother and sister Barbara, I don't know why, but something I've always wanted is a beautiful dining room with real pretty dining room furniture, crystal and fine china and silverware. I've never been able to find, afford it. But my grandmother has remembered me in her will and she's going to leave me just about enough money to go right out the side here, build a new room, build a new dining room and get the furniture and the china and the crystal and silverware that I've always wanted. That's exactly what Jesus said what she do with her grandmother's money. It's not what you do if millions should be your lot, but what you're doing now with a dollar and a quarter you got. Years ago, I remember making the visit. I was probably five, six years old. We went over into a neighboring county to visit a young man. His mother and daddy were dead. He was living with one of his siblings. I remember two things about him. He was a good artist, and he had drawn all those beasts and figures in the book of Revelation. Second thing I remember about him, he couldn't walk. There were a lot of our young people. We'd go in, talk to him, and we'd go out and run and play. He couldn't go and run and play. Not long after that, his family took him to the Junior League Crippled Children's Home in Nashville, Tennessee, and they started treating him. He started getting better. During that course of the time, some members of the church started visiting with him. And he, I was talking to him years later, and he told me about the first service he attended after getting out of the hospital. 
And he went to, went to church and he said, I remember singing and it was so good to sing those songs with all the Christians there and we prayed and I thank God for his blessings and asked him to bless me and mine. We studied the Bible and I was glad to be able to do that. Took of the Lord's Supper and then he said, a part of the service that I hadn't thought about was a contribution. What am I going to do? And he reached into his pocket and he said, I pulled out of my pocket my total net worth. He said, I had in my pocket one quarter. He said, that's all the money. Didn't have a bank. That's all I had. Didn't have two dimes and nickel. Didn't have two dimes and five pennies. He didn't debate whether you figure your percentage before or after Social Security and income tax are withheld. He said, my choice was either to give or not to give. Now let's put that in perspective. That was when you could buy a Coca-Cola for a nickel. That's five Cokes for a teenage boy. And he said that basket kept coming closer and closer. And he said, I got to thinking when I came to Nashville, Tennessee, I couldn't walk. But something else had happened also. These Christians who had been visiting with him said, you know, when you get out of the hospital, if it's okay, we'd like for you to come and live with us. He said, we want to check with your, your brothers and sisters, see if that's okay. And he came to live with him, them and they sent him to David Lipscomb High School, David Lipscomb College, and he spent the next 50 years as a preacher within a few miles of Nashville, Tennessee. And he said, when the basket came by and I thought of all the way I'd been blessed, he dropped that into the basket. Isn't that powerful? Jesus said, for to everyone who gives, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. When we do what we can, what we have, God will be pleased. So I'm asking a question. You think God was peeping this morning when we gave? And is he going to say, well, look at there, Jerry Barber is in Mineral Springs, Arkansas. What's he doing way over there? Well, I, well, I, I noticed the name on those checks there. Is he going to look down and say, well, old Jerry, he's just a poor preacher. I'm sure you've heard that story. This preacher was having trouble with his car. He took it to a mechanic, and as he was working on it, he said, when you get ready to make out the bill, I hope you'll go easy on me because I'm just a poor preacher. He said, I know, I heard you yesterday. So will he say, he's just a poor preacher, but I tell you what, he does what he can with what he has where he is. If he can do that, he'll be pleased. Number four, how about our responsibility and opportunity to tell the gospel to everybody? Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All power, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Evangelism is not complete until the evangelized have become evangelists. Well, I know I'd be good, but see, I, I'm just not very good, and I'm, I'm afraid they'd ask some questions I couldn't answer, and I'd like to, but I can't. But that's not what God asks us to do. What He expects us to do is do what we can, what we have, where we are. Paul 
talked about this principle in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Well, Jerry, you know, I'd like to do that, but I, I'm afraid they'll ask me a question that I can't answer, and I can't do it like you do. And I, what if they ask me something I don't know it? Back in, when I was in Dalton, Georgia, spent 11 years there, and I taught hundreds of people uh, some methods for doing personal evangelism. We had Jewel Miller film strips, Ivan Stewart's Open Bible Study. And I told the people, when I recruited people for the classes, we'd spend three hours a night in a class. If you'll stay with me through 13 weeks, when you get through with that class, you'll be able to answer every question that anybody will ever ask you about the Bible. Would that be helpful to you? If you had that ability, would that be helpful? If you just knew, you could answer that. Let me tell you something. We got time to do that this morning. <laughs> would, that, would that help your evangelism? Here's what you do. If you can say three words in the right order, you can answer every question that anybody will ask you out of the Bible. I'm going to give you those three words and then do a commentary. I'm going to say them, then I'll ask you to repeat after me. Those three words are, I don't know. Okay? <laughs> Let's all repeat that together. I don't know. Let's do it again. I don't know. You got it. See, there are only three kinds of questions that people can ask. There are questions that people ask, and we know the answer, and we help that person Read the answer. The way I taught open Bible study is to be creatively lazy. Don't answer people's questions. Let them use their own Bible. Turn to their own Bible. Read that aloud, please. And tell me in your own words, what does that passage mean? See, if they read it for themselves, they can't say, well, that's what he told. No, 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 no. That's what Jesus said. It's read in my Bible. Or as Zig Ziglar said, read the black stuff too. It's all good. And so... They ask a question, it's time to answer it, and you answer the question. Number two, they ask a question, and it isn't time to answer it because you haven't laid a foundation for them to understand. And so you say, that's a good question, I'm going to write it down, and in a few weeks we'll talk about that. Somebody says, you think baptism is essential to salvation. If you haven't taught what baptism is, and you say yes, they may say, well, he thinks sprinkling a little water on a baby's head is going to keep him from going to hell. They don't understand baptism. And so you say, that's a good question. We'll talk about it, and you answer it. And then they ask the third kind of question, and you haven't got the foggiest idea of what you're talking about. Here's what you do. Say, I don't know, but let's study the Bible together, and let's find out what God tells us in his book. And that puts us on the same table, side of the table. We're fellow learners. Would you be willing to teach a person the plan of salvation? Just maybe have some notes jotted down. Yeah, but what if they ask me about the mark of the beast? I don't know what you'd say. What I would say is, I don't know. But let's study this because here's something that's essential. And just keep doing that. Would you give tracts that we'll teach? Oh, you think everybody gets a tract going to be baptized? No, but some folks will. And uh, 
nationwide insurance evidently thinks that if they keep putting out those crazy commercials, some folks going to buy some because usually when you advertise, you sell more than when you don't. It was February the 12th, 1969, early part of the afternoon, I received a call from a young man named Tom Watson. He was a soldier who had recently come to Fort Campbell and he walked out that north gate and started walking north. And he ended up in Madisonville, Kentucky, where I was preaching at the time. I went down to the bus station and uh, found out he hadn't had anything to eat for three days. Went by and picked up an elder. We went down to the restaurant and fed him and Got to talking with him, found out what his situation was. We went back to the church building. He had five books, four of them religious and a Bible. I persuaded him probably the best thing to do would be to call Fort Campbell and go back. What he had done, he, he stopped there and he made a phone call to his friends in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And what he wanted to do is for them to wire him the money. He'd fly back home, visit family and friends, give himself up there and let him take him back to Fort Campbell. And his friend said, you better talk to a doctor or a preacher or somebody and get your head on straight because the longer you stay and the further you go, the worse trouble you're going to be in. And so he decided to do that. He got in contact with the officers. They said, we'll be there at 6 o'clock. And so I signed him up for a Bible correspondence course. I showed him film strip number one, Jewel Miller film strips. And he started uh, studying those Bible correspondence courses. On uh, Memorial Day weekend, he came and visited. We took, he went back to Fort Campbell. And on Monday night, Philip Murdoch, one of our deacons, and I went down to study with him again. And he was baptized that night. I said, Tom, I'm really thrilled at your decision. Why did you call me back in uh, February? You'd never heard of the Church of Christ before. You'd never attended any of our services. And there are a lot of churches. He, How did you do that? He said, well, I was walking up the highway and I saw a metal sign that said Church of Christ, 18 miles. That didn't mean very much, but I remembered it. I got up to a bus station and I looked down and there was a track, a little piece of paper there. It said something about Church of Christ and that didn't mean much to me, but I remembered it. When I called my friend, he told me you need to get in contact with somebody. So I called the operator and I said, Operator, I need to talk to a preacher. And she said, What kind you want? And I said, What kind you got? And she started reading down the yellow pages. And when she got to Church of Christ, he said, Give me that one. How did Tom become a Christian? There were some men years ago down at Crofton, Kentucky with a post hole digger and they were putting up a sign that said Church Christ, 18 miles. They did what they could. Somebody rode a track. That person did what they could. Somebody left that track there. They did what they could. Brother John Hurt wrote a series of Bible correspondence courses. He did what they could. Somebody mailed those out and graded them. That would be Mary Catherine Turner. She did what she could. Philip Murdoch was one of our deacons. We rode in his car down to Fort Campbell, and he did what, his, what he could until his car quit running. 
And we went up and knocked on the door and called a sergeant from Fort Campbell. He came out and carried us to the Madison Street Church building. He did what he could. The people there, probably thousands of people, gave money for that church building. He did what he could. Brother Joel Miller produced those film strips, and he did what he could. And so hundreds and hundreds of people doing what they could, what they had, where they were. Paul would say, I planted the polis water, and God gave the increase. That's the way it's done. When everybody does what they can, what they have, where they are. How often do you invite people to come and worship and come to Bible study on Wednesday night? Well, they wouldn't do any good. Well, it might not, but it might. Years ago in West Kentucky, there was a young family that had a little girl named Jeanette, just a little baby. And they rented rooms from people who were members of the church. This young family didn't have any interest. And so every Sunday morning, they'd get up and leave, and they'd go out and visit relatives and friends. And when they would go down the hall, they were renting rooms from this Christian couple. They'd say, would you like to go with us to Bible study and worship? And they said, no, we're not interested. And they did that week after week after week after week. And finally, it got so embarrassing that this couple would tiptoe over to the window and they'd lift up the window and daddy would get out the window, hand Janet out, and mama would come and they'd let the window down and they'd go visit like they like to do on Sunday. And somebody said, yeah, it's just the way people are. That's when you quit inviting. No, no, no. That's when you start inviting on Saturday night and that's what these folks did. And finally one, one weekend they said, okay, we'll go. They were starting a gospel meeting at the congregation where they attended and they attended all week long. And on Friday night, Daddy was baptized. And a few months later, Mama was baptized. And Brother J.H. Walston served the last 30 years of his life as an elder at the Glendale Road Church of Christ. Why? Because somebody had two PhDs in personal evangelism? No, because a couple that did what they could with what they had where they were just kept doing it and doing it and doing it until they were attracted and obeyed the gospel. If God would look down and say, does he love people? Does he love their souls? Does he want to tell the world about Jesus? Would he say he does? She does what they can with what they have where they are. That's all God expects out of anybody. You know what we've done this morning? We've read about this lady and we have let her encourage us to do what we can with what we have where we are. But let me tell you something else we've done. We have fulfilled prophecy. Did you know a lot of people are interested in fulfilled prophecy? And they talk about all the buzzards in Israel that's going to eat up all the dead people in the battle of Armageddon and all that kind of stuff and they figure out who, who that beast is and 666 and all that. And about 15 years go by and that messes up all their predictions and they have to redo it and do it again. We fulfill prophecy this morning. Notice what Jesus said. Assuredly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Jesus said everywhere that people teach the gospel, they're going to talk about this lady. A lady who was criticized sharply by whom? The apostles. Now how's that? Well, people are just always complaining and criticizing. What if the apostles were criticizing you sharply? Didn't stop this lady. She did what she could or what she had where she was. 
And Jesus said, let me tell you how important this is. This woman was preparing my body for burial. She may or may not have known that, probably didn't. But I want to tell you what else she's doing. She's setting an example. And anywhere the gospel is preached, this woman is going to continue to encourage them. And you will make a ripple. And I will make a ripple when we do what Jesus wants us to do. Let's commit to doing what we can with what we have where we are. If you need to start that journey today, do what Jesus said. Be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and continue to do everything that He teaches us. If you need to do that, come this morning as we sing.